Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. At Police Care Australia, we know that happy cops make the world a safer place. We understand only too well the threats and pressures cops face every day and the toll it takes. That's why we've established a health and wellbeing hub or a place with resources where former and current police members, families and friends can get help and assistance. It's an online portal where you can get support and counselling with professionals that understand police. Police Care Australia is a joint initiative between the National Police Memorial and the Police Federation of Australia. You can find out more details about Police Care Australia at their website, www.policecareaustralia.org.au. Maureen Blue has retired after nearly five decades with Victoria Police. She's worked in sworn and unsworn roles and is an expert in management, behavioural issues, education and training. Maureen's a specialist in people management and dispute resolution. She's also developed many a training program. She's been working as a senior instructor at the PDC or People Development Command and managed a number of sergeants and senior sergeants at Subbies. She's now looking forward to the next chapter of her life. Hi Maureen and a big warm welcome to The Crime Couch. Thank you, Rochelle. How does it feel, Maureen, leaving Victoria Police after nearly five decades? Well, because I've been on long service leave for 12 months and prior to that we had COVID, so I was working from home doing virtual training in the classroom. I found that was a bit of a transition into retirement. So it's been over a period of time that I've eased into it. So it hasn't just been I've walked away and closed the door. I've had time to transition. Yes, it's odd and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it yet. But yeah, time will tell. Was it an easy decision to make, Maureen? No, not at all. Because I still feel, even after all this time, as an educator, I've still got something to offer and I get a great deal of delight teaching our newly promoted sergeants and senior sergeants uh, management skills and, and, and um, leadership management. Could you see yourself sort of maybe doing some part-time work at the academy or being like a specialist person they bring back to share your expertise? I would jump at it. If they ever offered it to me, I would jump at it. What do you consider, Maureen, your greatest achievement in your role in the job? There was a lot of achievements as a sworn member, you know, always catching the crook and getting a good result at the end of the day. Probably in my later years has been my teaching capacity at the academy. I took myself back to university when I started teaching out there and did my double degree with honours for tertiary teaching. I wanted to make sure that I was fully qualified to be able to assess 
not only teach but assess students to make sure that they were capable of doing the job. So that's always been, teaching has probably became my passion after I had left the organisation as a sworn. And it seems to me you've done sworn and unsworn roles. What's your preference there? I know it's a probably a tough question, but what's your preference, do you think? It was a big change when I left as from being a sworn person because I had three children under school age and there was no flexibility, no part-time policing. It was virtually, you know, you just had to get on with it. And preschool and uh, learning centres weren't as good back then as they are now. So I decided that I needed to probably take some time off and bring up my children. I'm not a stay-at-home mother, so as soon as that they were ready for preschool, I was back looking for a job. And I just managed to get a phone call out of the blue from a colleague who was also an ex-member and asked me would I be interested in coming back to work as an unsworn. So that's how I started at Dandenong, yeah, with the management team out there, you know, checking briefs and, and summonses and warrants and all of that and ultimately ended up being uh, an educator at the academy. You've seen, Maureen, an enormous amount of change and reform in Victoria Police, being there over 50 years. How would you say the organisation is placed today? Can I say that's a tricky question, Rochelle? We've come a long way with our mental health. We've come a long way with how we look after our people, but we're still not getting it right. We're not doing it well enough. There's way too many people still suffering from mental health issues because of the way they're being treated in the workplace. I've heard that currently operational police are facing pressure like never before and that often a lot of the time it's managers that are also not picking up the ball and taking on board responsibility. Do you think that's an accurate assessment? I think so because... As we discussed earlier, middle managers are so bogged down with paperwork and processes and policies and they don't always have the time to be in the moment and realise that their people are suffering. And it takes a very brave junior member to come forward and say, I'm not coping. So clearly, you know, this responsibility lays with our middle managers, but how do we find that balance? It still seems to me too, there's still such a stigma of admitting that you're not coping or that you are suffering and have got some mental health issue. Is that accurate? I think we're breaking down the barriers and I've noticed it over the last maybe five to eight years when I was training at Subbies that a lot more of our middle managers are saying, yes, it's okay, and putting their hands up in the class and saying, I've struggled. I struggled, but I got help and I'm here now. Look, I got promoted, you know, but I might have been off work for 12 months with mental health issues, but I clawed my way back. It takes a lot of courage to do that. But we always used to get a lot of disclosures in the classroom from, because we call it Chatham House Rules, so we want it to be a safe environment because like any learning, you learn from your mistakes. And, and that's one of the big things that we teach with our middle managers that, you know, it's okay to reach out if you're not coping. Do you think that goes back to the way that members used to be, which is that you had to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof and how you dealt with pressure and stress on the job was to get on the drink? Coming through, the, I didn't drink before I joined Victoria Police, so coming through the organisation in the 70s, 80s and 90s, being, you know, one of the first to work the van, you know, getting into the CI, working with some fairly hefty long-term detectives, I 
was introduced to alcohol at one stage there because I was one of the few female detectives around at the time. We used to get a lot of, they'd always call the female detectives in to do the rape statements, sex offenders, child abuse, all of that. And I realised one day that I wasn't coping. I had a young family, a young daughter at that stage, and I'd just had enough. And I'd realised that I was probably self-medicating a little bit too much. And if you want to hear a really funny story, I tucked my tail between my legs and we didn't have well-being services back then, but we did have chaplaincy. So I put my tail between my legs and I made an appointment to go out to the academy to speak to the chaplain. And I told him how I was feeling and that I thought I was drinking too much to try and ease the pain. And his words to me were, well, clearly you're not drinking enough. Very different now, Maureen. Imagine saying that now as a chaplain. Exactly. Yeah, You wouldn't hear that from a chaplain in this day and age. Things were very different back then. And we were a paramilitary organisation and you just didn't admit to those kind of things. You had to be strong. It's very interesting because I think it's probably also got to do with the fact that you're now where, you know, have people in the job and that are applying to Victoria Police and various police services and forces around Australia. And I think what is also being reflected is that nowadays the recruits are very different as well. You don't get them, they're not that keen on doing night shift and they certainly will tell you if they don't want to do something. The old urban myths, you know, they don't do dead bodies and I can't do night shift and I can't do this. You know, I just wonder what their expectations are when they join Victoria Police. We had an instance with a recruit who was opposed to um, learning firearms. And you've got to wonder what did that person think of when they were joining an organisation such as Victoria Police. But once the instructors spent a great deal of time explaining why you carry a firearm, it's not just to shoot people, it's to protect yourself and the community. And your partner. And your partner. Most of all, your partner, yes. It's extraordinary. You're an expert in workplace disputes. What do you think is at the core of most workplace disputes? Look, there can be personalities that just don't get on. We don't have to like everyone that we work with. Some people are not genuine. They want to either get out of the workplace and move on so they will create a disruption in the workplace. Lack of management intervention is a big one. You can't just say, oh, well, you're a sergeant or a senior sergeant or an inspector, you should be able to fix this because sometimes these things need to be escalated and we need to get external advice and external assistance. We've currently got, when I went through what we used to call ADRAC, the Alternate Dispute Resolution Advisory Centre, we set up a, a core group of mediators, trained them up internal, and they've just brought that back now. So um, hopefully that will be used more as a management tool. Maureen, do you think every dispute can be mediated? No, absolutely not. What we can do before we go to mediation is try what we call conflict coaching. So it's a step down from mediation and not as formal. Mediation is more formal where documents have to be signed, deeds of confidentiality, and members are a little bit uncomfortable with that. We can't always fix it with mediation. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I've had some mediations fall over where I thought they were going to jump the table and punch each other's lights out. You know, it just, it was just, they could not work together. 
and nothing was going to fix that. Most disputes, I'd imagine, would involve a senior officer and a junior member. I've heard a theory that people leave jobs not because of the work, but because of the bosses. Do you agree? To some degree, I do. If a person is feeling fragile or challenged or has been in position for a long period of time and haven't been managed properly, and all of a sudden a new manager comes along and goes, well, hang on a minute, that's not what you should be doing, this is what you should be doing. Then we start, the members usually start talking about conflict and bullying and, well, no one's ever told me that. Well, that's because that person hasn't been performance managed properly. So, yeah, a lot of it does fall back onto senior managers if they're not performance managing these members from the get-go. It's the dog chasing its tail. How do you think... Maureen, newer members differ from members who have been in the job for some time. Initially, they're vibrant, they're youthful, although having said that, we're getting more mature age recruits coming through, which is good. It's good to see them in the squads with the younger members, but I think on average we're only getting about 10 years out of a recruit these days. I don't think they see it as a lifetime career, and people would often say to me, how could you be in the same job for so long? And I said, well, I've had so many different careers within Victoria Police. It's not like you're doing the same thing all the time. And I think perhaps the young ones coming through maybe don't realise that that they've got that opportunity after a couple of years to break out and do something different. Do you think it's also a change about how young people or how people nowadays perceive their work, i.e. it's always work-life balance? When Even when I was working earlier in my life as a journalist and as a television producer, it was expected you give everything to your job. That's what you did. And same with Victoria Police. We would drag ourselves in off our deathbed. You did not go sick on night shift. You didn't miss a shift. Well, that's changed because you're coming into work and you're infecting the rest of the crew. It's going through the air conditioning. We've seen what happened with COVID. So the young people coming through definitely do have a different idea about that work-life balance. And, And that's not a bad thing. Victoria Police has just got to get it right. You have just finished working at Subbies. To people listening that don't even understand what Subbies is, what is Subbies and and tell me about your work there? Subbies is our sergeant's qualifying program and it used to be our senior sergeant's qualifying program. So when a member gets promoted, they have to complete our two-week program and a number of post and pre-course qualifications to get confirmed at rank. So it's a two-week program. The first week is about leadership management, conflict and all that dispute resolution. The second week is about critical incident and emergency management. So it's quite intense for them. Our senior sergeants and inspectors have now moved to what we call the PMQP, which is the Police Managers Qualifying Program. So they do a joint program together, which is a university degree through UTAS, Tasmanian University. So that's been going now for, I think, about four or five years quite successfully. So I think we will be moving more towards tertiary qualifications. Could you see that advancing the job or do you see that as something that's a little prohibitive? Some people love to study. We have uh, recruits that come through that already have university degrees and they relish their time in the academy. Others that might have come straight from school or hospitality or wherever their career has been struggle a lot and we used to have diplomas quite a few years ago now and it was a lot more structured and you had to meet certain criteria I think we'll end up going back to something quite similar to that you've now left the job after as I've said over five decades why did you originally join Victoria Police Maureen I grew up in England 
and I loved the bobbies and I wanted to be a bobby one day. And then my family came over to Australia and I was devastated because there were no bobbies. There was policemen, no policewomen, well, maybe a smattering one or two of um, special agents, they used to call them back then. So it had always been something that I wanted to do. So if I couldn't be a bobby, I thought, well, I'll join Victoria Police. And I actually joined as an unsworn first because I was waiting to get into a squad and then went through the academy and, yeah, the rest is history. What do you think was your MO or how did you manage to get through a lot of dealings with very difficult people and a lot of males and a lot of opinions and you were at a time in the job where there weren't many females? So how do you think you survived? I had to prove myself, especially when I first started working in the van at Dandenong, which was about 76. The males and females used to be on separate seniority lists and then they decided that we should be equal. Equal opportunity came in and that's when we could work general duty. So I put my hand up and headed out to Dandenong. And I always felt like I had to work twice as hard as everyone else. I always felt like I had to be one of the boys. Always felt like I was being judged by all ranks, not just the, the guys that I worked with. But I was very fortunate. I had a really good group of sergeants at Dandenong when I went through. Hence, I kept going back there. I was there as a constable. I was there as a sergeant. I was there as a senior detective. So it was a, an area that I knew very well and felt felt very comfortable working in. But definitely had, felt like we had to prove ourselves back then. It must be a huge transition for you to leave the job and something that you know so well. Are you already enjoying the fact you don't have to get up for the 7 a.m.s? Oh, my God. You know, when I first started long service leave, I reckon I was sleeping 12-hour days because I was so used to getting up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, heading out to the city or the academy or wherever we were going. And it was just like my body just relaxed, you know. I've noticed now as the time's gone by, I'm getting back into more of a routine and transitioning more into my veggie garden and my chooks and and yeah it's just a lovely it's a lovely time in your life that I never thought I'd get to just if that makes sense you know you just don't ever think you're gonna be able to retire so yeah it's wonderful. What's next for you Maureen? You've told us about your veggie patch and the chickens but what's next? Okay so my husband who works from home occasionally is younger than me so I've put him on a three-year limit to keep working before he can retire. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're just going to be doing a few little trips. Once he retires, we'll hopefully downsize and be able to get more trips in. Yeah, that's about, that's the small version. Sounds fabulous. Well, thank you very much for sitting with me today on the Crime Couch. Enjoy the next part of your life and journey. I shall do. And of course, I've got my lovely granddaughters as well, which is a joy. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch.